It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 3-0 Take, the official podcast of Dirt to Diamonds Baseball. Here's your host, Kyle Corwin. What's up, Dirt to Diamonds Baseball fam, and welcome to the new and improved Dirt to Diamonds Baseball podcast, now titled The 3-0 Take. I've got a lot on deck for you here today, including a look back at this day in baseball history, uh, what's been going on in Major League Baseball, and an unpopular opinion that you may or may not agree with. Let me start with this day in baseball history. Now, just a clarification, the release date of this episode is Wednesday, July 25th, so that is most likely the day you're here in this episode. So, as a result, uh, these are some things that have happened on July 25th. Starting in 1908, we're going uh, to be talking a little bit about Honus Wagner. Now, you've probably heard about Honus Wagner in respects to baseball cards, uh, but I thought this was an interesting little tidbit that I hadn't heard before, and uh, it kind of speaks volumes to uh, how how cocky this dude was. So, again, in 1908, uh, Honus Wagner is up against uh, Giant starter Christy Mathewson, who, by the way, is a stud. Uh, Mathewson ranks in the all-time top 10 in, in uh, wins, shutouts, ERA. Uh, he's the only professional pitcher in history to rank in the top 10, both in career wins and in career ERA. Uh, in 1936, he was part of the first Hall of Fame class, which included four others, uh, Ty Cobb, Walter Johnson, Honus Wagner, ironically enough, and Babe Ruth. Um, but anyway, uh, he was Wagner was going up against Christy Mathewson in 1908, and he went 5-for-5 five five off of him, which... Two Hall of Famers going at it. That's that's pretty impressive. Uh, but Wagner went five for five. But the the interesting fact about this story is legend has it that after each hit that Wagner got, he held up a finger to New York right fielder Mike Donlin after each hit that he got because Donlin was the guy who was uh, in contention with Wagner for the for the batting average title, um, and so literally. Wagner, after each hit that he had, would hold up a finger to Donlin to signify that he was on his way to tying and passing him for the batting lead. So at that point, to me, that's just when you know you're bad, dude. Like, hey, don't mind me. I'm just on my way to steal the NL batting average lead and probably, most definitely, your girl after this game. Uh, and that that's just, I mean, that's just cocky. I mean... The dude, I mean, clearly he's a stud, um, and not just on the field, off the field. I know I mentioned earlier about uh, you probably hearing about him in, in regards to baseball cards, um, and this just further solidifies just how prolific of a baseball figure he was. In 2016, uh, a Honus Wagner card sold for 
$3.12 million, reclaiming the record for highest price paid for a baseball card. That's just that's just wild to me. Uh, moving on, 1966, Ted Williams is inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, if you've been following Dirt to Diamonds baseball for any length of time, you know that uh, unapologetically, I claim Ted Williams to be the greatest hitter of all time. I don't, I don't even entertain the thought of uh, Barry Bonds, the Michelin Man, uh, even remotely close in that argument. Um, but ju- here, here's some here's some stats uh, for you, or rather accomplishments uh, that Williams uh, achieved in his lifetime or his baseball career. Uh, he's a 19-time All Star. Uh, he's a two-time AL MVP, six-time AL batting champ, uh, two-time cr- Triple Crown winner. He had a lifetime career batting average of three forty-four. He had 521 home runs, uh, the 521st of which uh, he knocked on his last ever at bat, which impressive in itself. Uh, he had a four eighty-two on-base percentage, which is the highest of all time. Uh, he had a 406 average in 1941, which if you don't even know the first thing about Ted Williams, you've probably at least heard that in that he's the last guy to hit 400. Hasn't been done since. Uh, and in that season, 1941, a story that you may or may not have heard, um, he was uh, going up against the Philadelphia Athletics. The Red Sox were going up against the Athletics uh, in the final two games of the season. It was a doubleheader. And Williams is batting three nine. I take it back. Point three nine nine five five, which officially would be rounded up by MLB to four hundred, and therefore he would have achieved the four hundred mark no problem. But Williams, being just the G that he is, uh, asked uh, his manager um, if he could if he could play. Uh, Joe Cronin said that. He told Williams, he said, hey, you can sit if you want to If you want to reach the 400 mark. He's like, I have no problem sitting you in these last few games. No worries. But no, the greatest hitter of all time chose to play. And not only did he play, he, went, he would go on to go 6 for 8 to finish at 406, which, I mean, it, compare that to 2011. I'm sure if if you if you have heard that story about Williams uh sticking it out there in the last two games of the season, you've probably heard about the comparison to Jose Reyes, which uh he in 2011 uh he was there him and the Mets were coming down the the home stretch of the season. Um he led off the final game of the season with a bunt. Uh and at that point he this wasn't even for hitting 400. This was merely to capture the NL batting title. Let off the final game of the season with a bunt and then asked manager Terry Collins to be removed from the lineup to preserve his league-leading average. And if you know the rest, you know that he goes on to, to win the title, which, take it as you will, you can compare those two stories. And, I mean, to me, that just shows what kind of hitter and player and person Ted Williams is. Uh but anyway, we don't have time for garbage like Jose Reyes while we're talking about the GOAT. Uh, sorry, Ted. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to you. Um, continuing on uh, with Williams, uh, some more facts that you may or may not know. His prime was interrupted by military service from 1943 to 1945, uh, which is impressive in itself. Like, hats off to you, man. You were called to, called to go to the military. You did it, even though you're like one of the greatest players of all time. 
you went and did your uh, did your duty. Uh, but the one of the more impressive aspects of that whole story was that he won the first of his two MVPs in his first year back in 1946. Which, if you're if you've ever played baseball and you've ever taken any period of time off, you know that when you try to come back and pick up a baseball bat, it's just, it's not there. It doesn't, you could have played for five, 10, 15 years and it, it takes some time. But this guy comes back in 1946 and not only plays like adequately enough to maintain a spot on the lineup, he wins an MVP. And then moving past that in ages at age 39 and 40, he won the batting, his batting title for the fifth and sixth time of his career, which Again, all of these are just outstanding statistics and achievements, but they're just they're just further proof that he's the greatest hitter of all time. And I'm not going to listen to really any other argument that says otherwise. Uh, and just rounding off here, uh, Williams was selected to the MLB All All Time Team in 1997 and the MLB All Century Team in 1999. And our third and final point here of this day in baseball history, uh, in 1988, uh, the Chicago Cubs tested their new lighting system um, at Wrigley Field uh, roughly two weeks out from their first night game at Wrigley Field on August 8th versus the Phillies. Uh, The team held a charity event in which the players were basically allowed to hit BP, and I think they did like a little home run derby. Um, and again, that was, uh, July 25th, 1988. Um, but in case you were wondering, the first major league baseball night game was in 1935, which is 52, 53 years earlier. And that game was between the Cincinnati Reds and Philadelphia Phillies. So the Phillies had a little, little commonality there. Um, but anyway, let's talk about current affairs. Sanchez looked like he got uh, crossed up. Somebody's better cover home. Here comes Bowers to throw the plate, and he scores. It's one nothing Rays, and somebody took their time getting after that ball. Sanchez hits one to short. Second baseman flips to the shortstop of Thomas. He's safe to throw the first. Is in time, and the ball game is over. Sanchez hit a rocket that the second baseman Robertson fielded, flipped to Adamas for the force. That was not in time, but a heads-up Adamas threw on the first base and got the out. And the Rays hang on and win by a score of 7-6. to six. A disappointing loss for the New York Yankees. Plenty of opportunities. And you're right, Kenny. Gary Sanchez hits this ball hard. Robertson goes to Adamas at second. He's not going to be able to make the play, but his head's up enough to continue the play to first base as Sanchez getting down the line obviously doesn't run well, and they get him by plenty. So that goes 4-6-3 for the final out as Alvarado can celebrate, and he picks up his fourth save of the year. So the Rays won the opening game of the series. Let's take a look at Sanchez who hit that ground ball. Wasn't busting out of the box. Tries to pick it up at the end. That's just inexcusable right there. That cannot happen. He might not have been safe, but it would have been a lot closer. And that's it. The Rays win this first one by a score of 7-6. to six. I don't... 
I don't even know what to say. Again, if you've been following Dirt to Diamonds Baseball for any length of time, you know that I'm one of the thousand, million, billion people that just absolutely hate the Yankees. So, in case you missed it, uh, last night, Yankees are playing the Rays. Bottom of the first, Sanchez is behind the dish. Uh, you got a runner on second. I think it's uh, Jake Bowers, which uh, was actually, he spent a lot of time here in Durham uh, with, the, with the Durham Bulls. So he, he recently got called up. So, you know, he's up there, he's up there trying to, to prove his validity, uh, make himself known to the, to the fan base and the organization. So he's out there, he's out there hustling. Um, but anyway, he's on second base, Sanchez behind the dish. Uh, I believe there was a cross up between, uh, Sanchez and I think Severino was on the mound last night. Um, there was a little cross up. And so Sanchez lets the slider hit him in the foot. Ball bounces to the left there down the third base side, and it kind of rolls towards the dugout. And he just, you know, nonchalantly gets up and jogs down the ball, thinking that there'd be no way that Bowers would even consider going going home. And next thing you know, Bowers is just hauling freight around third base, and Sanchez realizes, oh, whoops, uh, we're kind of contending for a division here. Maybe I should, you know, maybe go get the ball and try to get him out at the plate. Well... As the baseball gods would have it, uh, Bowers is safe, making Sanchez just look like an absolute idiot. Um, so, again, Bowers scores from second, and uh, which essentially puts the Rays up one nothing um, against Severino. And if you know anything about Severino this year, you know that runs are, runs are rare. And if you're able to put up a run like that, I mean, you'll take it any way you can get it. Um, so then fast forward to later in the game. Uh, top of the ninth, Yankees are down a run. Score is uh, seven six. Rays are up. Uh, bases loaded. Sanchez is at the plate. Go figure. Uh, and if if you haven't seen the highlight already, uh, you should definitely pull it up. It's I I, I think I'm doing shame to the term highlight. It's far from a highlight. Uh, but anyway, Gary hits one up the middle. Second baseman, I, th- I believe. I think they had some sort of shift on. Maybe. A, I don't know what the situation was. Uh, slight shift where second baseman was playing a little, little up the middle. Uh, he gets the ball, flips it to short. Uh, short runs to second to tag for the force play, thinking that'd be the closest and easiest play. He's late to the bag. And thinking the play was over and that the Yankees had essentially tied the game 7-7, just, I guess, looks up thinking, hey, maybe I can th- still get Gary at first. Probably not. Uh, but anyway, he looks up and sees that Sanchez is like halfway down the line. So he, of course, naturally chucks the ball over to first and gets Gary by like three steps. Game over. Rays win 7-6. Uh, I think making it four straight against the Yankees, which if you know anything about baseball and the American League East right now, uh, Yankees are a little bit better of a team than Tampa Bay, but uh, not as of late, or at least between the two. Um to me, that I don't know. That's just that's just inexcusable. Like, you're a professional baseball player, and I and I get it. it for 162 games, it's it's hard to maintain the energy. Uh, but there's certain situations where it doesn't matter if it's game one or game 162. There's certain situations where your hustle, energy, and effort are required. And considering you're kind of fighting for a division right now. Uh, that's again. That's that's just inexcusable. That I mean, 
I hope he got chewed out for that. I really do. I mean, you're you're essentially letting the division slip. The Yankees are. I mean, the Red Sox aren't losing right now. Uh, and because they lost that game and because the Red Sox uh, picked up a win last night, um, they now own a six-game lead over the Yankees. Uh, but the be- the best part about this whole thing is actually I, I was scrolling on Twitter today and discovered that the Yankees had uh, awarded Austin Romine the Heart and Hustle Award winner. or he, They had awarded him the Yankees Heart and Hustle Award. Um, and they posted the graphic to Yankees Twitter on Tuesday. Um, and it was great because he was, the, the graphic showed him in his, in his catcher's gear and he was, he just looks like a ball player. He doesn't look like Sanchez who, I don't know, looks like he should be down at the sandwich shop getting a milkshake or something. I don't know. But anyway, the thread, the thread was great. I mean, people were, there was one guy on there being like, is this what kids call shade? And then another tweet was like, Heard Gary won the award first, but he took too long to accept. I mean, I, I love these kinds of things. These guys these guys think that they can just kind of slide by without giving full effort, especially in situations like that. And then I just – there's something about fans just letting letting these players have it when they absolutely deserve it. They're, I just love it. But anyway, moving on to something more positive. Um uh, Again, if you've been following kind of the the baseball landscape as of late, I'm sure you've heard of uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon. Uh, he made, made his Major League debut Monday night. Uh, first career start through seven innings of no-hit ball. Uh, this was 14 months after, apparently according to a tweet I saw by ESPN, 14 months after having emergency brain surgery, uh, after a line drive, I guess he had he had been hurt pretty bad and had to have the surgery. But here we are, 14 months later, making his uh, major league debut for the Cardinals. Uh, it was a pretty impressive stat line. I think he had three Ks um, again through seven innings. Uh, I think it was 116 pitches. Um, but the thing the thing that really gets me about these no hitters is, or rather, when guys are en route to a no hitter but get pulled then the 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 fan the backlash from the fans is just crazy and it's to me it's one of those things where it's usually it's usually the people that have never played baseball are the ones that are in an uproar about why why their pitcher got pulled when he's when he's throwing a no hitter and it's it's one of those things where you have to take into account the fact that he's a, he's i mean he's a young guy Except they're making his major league debut. He's 116 pitches in, and if you don't even know the first thing about what what a high pitch count is, I'll tell you that anything over 100 is. I mean, that's that's substantial. But for it to be your major league debut and you're you're at 116 pitches and people are wondering why you couldn't throw an extra two innings, that I mean that that's that takes a toll on the arm. That that's strenuous and. Really, that's just a shock to the system. I mean, people don't really understand that, though. Like I said, they just they just want to see history. Um, but I got respect for the guy. I mean, he acknowledged after the game, like, look, I just wanted to win. I understand the reasoning behind me getting pulled. Like, we we were – it was a close game. We needed runs. I needed to be – needed to be on the uh, – or we needed somebody at the plate who could hit the ball. You understood why he took you out. 
Oh, yeah. I, first of all, I'm a liability at the plate. I didn't <laughs> struck out twice looking and, uh, yeah, you know, it's a one-run game. We need, a, we need a big A-B, and so, yeah, 100% understand. Plus, I was 100-something pitches in. 16. No, yeah, there you go. Um, but anyway, I just I just appreciate I guess what I'm saying is I appreciate the fact that he understands it. Um, but the the thing that got me about that game was uh, that they didn't even win the game. Like he gets pulled and then uh, they're playing the Reds and Philip Irvin uh, of the Reds. I believe he was the one that broke up their no hitter in the eighth. Um, and then in the ninth inning, uh, Dilson Herrera Herrera. Uh, won it in the ninth with a bases loaded single, or he he walked him off. He walked off the Cardinals with a bases loaded single, and that just that's just further evidence of the point that I've always tried to make about. I mean, baseball is a funny game, man. I mean, you can have a guy throwing seven innings and no hit ball. It just there's no end in sight for the other team for the for the offense. It just things just aren't looking good, and then. With it, with one pitch, the entire momentum of the game can shift. I mean, games thought to be lost can be won in the final moments. It's it's a beautiful thing. It sucks, but again, kind of going off this further evidence thing, it just it it proves once again that the game of baseball doesn't owe anyone or any team anything. I mean, it's it's a it's a cruel game. I mean, Ponce de Leon pitched a gem, but like I said, the game is cruel. I mean, the kid's making his debut, but it just, it seems as though fate was on the red side. I mean, at least for that night. And I know it's just one one random game in, in July, but I'm sure for him, he would have really appreciated a win. You know, I mean, I mean, that's what you strive to do as a pitcher is to go out and win baseball games. And I know he would have loved that. I'm sure his, the friends and family that he had there would have loved to see that, but Again, baseball it's a it's a crazy game. It's a it's a cruel game. Um anyway, moving uh moving on to our next topic, but also staying in the NL Central, we need to talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates. What is can somebody explain to me what's going on with the Pittsburgh Pirates right now? I mean, they're one of they're one of baseball's hottest teams and they've barely been talked about all year, partially because McCutcheon's gone. And because of that, I honestly couldn't even tell you like who their studs are, or even if they have any. Like, I mean, I I just don't even know who they have. I don't know who like who makes up their pitching staff. Like, I mean, I I probably know a couple guys in the field, but I just like I don't know how they're like what pieces they're using to kind of put this little stretch they have going together. But I mean, on Monday, I mean they won on Monday, making it ten straight wins, which. For a team in the NL Central that's not the Cubs, I guess that's pretty impressive because we all know the Cardinals are just imploding on themselves, especially now that Matheny's gone. Um, but I mean, you look up at the up at the standings right now; they're four games out of the wild card. And although the division might—I don't want to say most likely out of the picture—but I mean, I think if they do sneak into the playoffs, to be the wild card. But it's worth noting that. In terms of the division race, they're they're seven games out. I mean, they're in third place uh, behind the Brewers. Uh, I think Brewers are in second. But the the thing that's important to note right now is that the Cubs are six and four in their last ten. 
The Brewers are 2-8 and eight in their last 10, at the time of this recording at least, on Tuesday. And if we know anything about baseball, we know that anything can happen. And let's be honest, we've seen some uh, collapses much greater than this, or I should say much worse than this. And so, I mean, the Pirates are, like I said, they're on a roll. Uh, they've won 10 straight. And even if they hit a little bump in the road here, they it seems to me as though they've figured out what they need to do to win. I mean, they're making they're making it work with the pieces that they have. Um but I mean, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I personally, I don't I don't like or dislike the Pirates. I would I like I like watching them in the playoffs. I mean, I know they had uh, a year or two there a while back where they were in it and I think they were in one of the wild card games. And uh, they had the blackout at the stadium. That I mean, that that's a cool environment. They had uh, Cueto. Uh, they were all in Cueto's head, making him drop the ball. I mean, that that was fun to watch. And I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, fan bases that that can kind of embody like the city in that way. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean that's that's what I think. And I don't know. I would, like I said, I would love to see the Pirates kind of put something together here and at the home stretch in these last couple months of the season, maybe, uh, who knows, like I said, it might, might steal a division title. I guess we'll see. Uh, but anyway, that about wraps up kind of my thoughts of the last few days here. I mean, coming off the break, not much has happened other than the games this week. Um, but, uh, Moving on to the unpopular opinion that I had mentioned at the start of the podcast, um, this is this is a segment I'm probably gonna try to do uh, every week, and it's gonna be something typically based on kind of current events, what's what's going on, uh, because obviously baseball, baseball Twitter, and uh, really baseball social media as I'm sure you all know, is a pretty wild place. And there's a lot of hot takes. There's a lot of opinions thrown back and forth. Um, and so this is really just my attempt at kind of throwing my own in there and uh, hopefully ruffling some people's feathers a little bit. Um, but in case you hadn't heard, uh, Chase Utley is in fact retiring at the end of the year. Um, but recently... He made his return to Philadelphia uh, earlier this week. Um, and I guess Philly fans were ready for him because they, they pretty much packed out Citizens Bank. Um, and so he stepped up to the plate. They gave him a standing O. I mean, it lasted probably a good minute, minute and a half. Number 26, second baseman, Chase.
I don't know. I mean, I've been following it, kind of the the reaction to it on on social media, and all I can tell you is Major League Baseball is having a love fest with it. I mean, that's really all I can say. Uh, my unpopular opinion on this whole thing, however, is kind of kind of taking into account his career and kind of all that he's done, both with Philly and L.A., obviously more with Philly because, let's be honest, his stint here in L.A. has been less than spectacular. Um, but my unpopular opinion is that I think Utley's legacy, I mean, if that's what you want to call it, um, I really think it was tarnished by that slide in 2015 in the uh, NLDS. Uh, I think it was versus the Mets, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, it was against the Mets. Um, if you haven't haven't seen the video, go watch it. I mean, I'm sure at this. I mean, it's what three years later now. I'm sure you've seen it by now. But anyway, uh, you you might think that that's an overreaction to say that like his whole career was tarnished by a slide. But I don't know. I I mean, I think that's a play that uh, that turns a lot of people off to Chase Utley. You know, I mean, the I mean, and the reason for that is because it was so obvious. Like, it was obviously and disgustingly blatant is really the best way to put it. I mean, you watch that slide, breaks Ruben Tata's leg. I mean, it wasn't even close to be considering, like, a textbook definition of a late slide. I mean, you know, as a base runner, if you've ever played baseball, you know that, I mean, you go in late, you go in hard, but you don't go in that late, and you don't go in that hard. Um, I mean, I get it. It's the playoffs. You're trying to trying to make something happen but there's something about like I don't know instincts of a baseball player that really should kick in no matter the situation and I just I think those instincts failed him either I don't know like I don't know if that's what he was trying to do or what but to me breaking Tata's leg and essentially having Major League Baseball unofficially name a slide rule after you to me, that's not exactly what you want to be remembered for in the final years of your career. I mean, that was, like I said, that was 2015, so it's like three or so years ago. And so I'm sure at that point, I mean, I'm sure when he got to L.A., and even at that point in 2015, I'm sure he knew, like, he was on the home stretch of his career. And so, I don't know. And, I, I mean, I think a lot of people knew that because he was getting old. And so, I mean, I'm sure when people saw that, they thought, man, this this is really how he's going to go out because they did that. I'm I'm sure at that point they obviously didn't know when he was, when he was going to be officially hanging him up, but I'm sure they thought it was close. And they're like, man, like, is this really, is this really what he's going to go out and be remembered for? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Again, it's an opinion. I, I could be way off, but that's my opinion. And I just, I don't know. I think it's contributing to the fact that I don't really know how to feel about the guy. Like, Anytime I see Chase Utley now on TV, like or on a highlight or something, that's that's immediately the first thing I think of is his of that slide in 2015. And I don't know if that's the same for other people, but again, that's that's just that's that's the case for me. And I don't know. It, he he always without without question. And to be fair, uh, he's he always seems like he's been a guy who's who's given his heart and soul to the game, which. Again, if you know anything about me or anything about this brand, it's something all, I've always respected, no matter who it is, no matter what team they play for. But to me, uh, I don't know. Just with Chase Utley specifically, there's just something about him that I just don't like. And 
I don't I don't even know what it is. And if somebody can help me figure out what that is, it'd be greatly appreciated. I don't know if other people feel the same way about other players. They, there's just something about them they just don't like, but that's the case for me. And I don't know. That's that. I mean, is Chase Utley good enough to be a Hall of Famer? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems to be a lot of debate, obviously, now that he's he's uh, he's on his way out. Um, he's approaching 1,900 hits, give or take. Uh, he's got 259 home runs to date. Uh, his career batting average is about 275. He's got a little over 1,000 RBIs. He's a six-time All-Star, won the World Series in 2008 over the Rays, who God knows how they got there, um, and is also a four-time Slugger, uh, Silver Slugger Award winner. Will that be enough? I mean, I don't know. Nobody really knows. I mean, obviously the baseball writers have some sort of an idea, but I guess we'll see. Personally, I don't think in the the limited knowledge I have of kind of what what goes into a Hall of Fame caliber player, I don't know if that's enough. Uh, but maybe the writers and other people who have more influence in that might be looking at different metrics. Uh, but kind of just looking at it with the eye test, I don't know if that if that's enough. I mean, I think if that's enough, then that kind of opens up a completely different debate about that tier of player making it in because there's certainly a number of guys who have similar numbers that probably aren't getting in or guys who haven't gotten in. And I think if you let Chase Utley in, and then again, that kind of just opens up the floodgates for a whole nother conversation of that, like less than super spectacular type guy. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but anyway, that about wraps it up for the, baseball recap of uh what's been going on um and as well as my unpopular opinion but now we've got some uh we've got some dms uh we've got the first one here from brian on instagram username brian lavoy underscore sorry if i'm mispronouncing that b-r-i-a-n-l-a-v-o-i-e underscore uh, he says, what matchup do you have for the World Series and who's coming out on top? Well, I know I've said it a couple times already, but if you know anything about me as a baseball fan, you know I'm a Sox guy. And I want really badly to say that the Red Sox and probably the... Let me think about this. Let's see. Red Sox... Like I said, I really want to say the Red Sox, and to be honest with you, with the addition of Machado, as much as I can't stand him, I mean, I think he's a good addition anywhere he goes. Um, I want to say the Dodgers, but to me, that's, the Dodgers-Red Sox seems like a, I don't know, it seems like an old school type matchup, and I've been rooting for an old school World Series for a long time. And I just don't think we've had one recently, at least that I can think of. And so because of that, I'm just going to, I'm going to assume that we're not going to have that type of like old school matchup. So I don't know. I mean, the problem with the Red Sox, and again, the reason I said I really, 
Like I, I badly want to say the Red Sox is obviously a little biased there. But the reason I'm not sold on them making it to the World Series or even coming out on top, uh, it's just the I mean the concerns of pitching. I mean, obviously you got David Price who just total flip of the coin when it comes to pitching against the Yankees or really like a number of number of big teams. Um and you throw in a playoffs there in the mix, and that's just a nightmare. Um, so, I don't know. I, um, I don't know. It's it's tough to say the Red Sox, but my second choice would immediately be the Astros. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think there'll be a repeat of Dodgers or uh, Astros Dodgers. Um, so. I don't know because I here's the thing I I strongly or I more strongly believe that there won't be a repeat than I do than I believe that the Red Sox will be able to figure out their pitching problem if that makes sense so I think there's more of a chance that the Red Sox will figure out their pitching issues whether in-house or they pick somebody up at the deadline um I think that'll happen. That'll be more likely to happen than a repeat of last year's World Series. Um, and so, I guess long story short, sorry for making this answer so long. I I'm gonna go with Red Sox Dodgers, and I think again, a little bias there. Or okay, let's be honest, a lot of bias. I'm gonna say Sox over Dodgers, and the reason I say that is because I I firmly believe once. Once the Red Sox can get out of the American League, I don't see them having a single problem with any team in the National League, no matter who it is, even the Dodgers. And I, I, I would say that for any American League team that ends up in the World Series, whether it's them, the Astros, uh, the Indians, Yankees, I don't see any team having an issue with the National League. And I think that that's been kind of assumed since day one of the season. And so, again... I think if they can find an arm, I was initially, I was hoping that they, they would find a starter, but because they've just had some issues on the back end with Joe Kelly and some over usage concerns with, uh, Kimbrell, um, I don't know. seems like they need one of one of each in terms of a starter and a reliever, but personally, I think right now their, their immediate need is a starter because, uh, Eduardo uh, Rodriguez is is out of the picture for a while. Um, so yeah, I mean, I th- I really think if they can figure out the the starting pitching, uh, it'll be Sox over Dodgers. And I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say six games, Sox over Dodgers in six games. So it's on record now. I'll remember this in October when uh, when they're hoisting the trophy. Um, Next DM is what do we got here from Logan Nearings. That's uh, on Instagram L O G A N N E E R I N G S. Uh, he says, "What is your biggest last-minute trade prediction before the deadline, or is Machado going to be the biggest move?" Um, that's tough to say. Uh, I would think kind of really related to what I was just talking about with the. With the uh, Red Sox, I I think in terms I don't, 
I won't say biggest name, but I think the biggest move would be the Red Sox picking up an arm because, like I said, their best team in baseball right now. That's I mean that's a fact. Can't dispute that. Um, obviously, I mean, the pirates are like one of the hotter teams in baseball, but best teams in baseball right now in terms of performance, talent, depth, uh, it's the Red Sox. And so I think again, not in terms of the biggest name, like a Machado or, or a guy like that. But I think in terms of the biggest move that a team could make, it would be the Red Sox picking up a, I don't know, a mid, a mid-level arm, even a top top arm but I just haven't heard of any big names that are kind of floating around out there so I don't know unless they're kind of working some deals under the table that not or behind closed doors that not many people know about um I think that could have potential uh for being being the biggest move before the deadline so um all right well that about uh wraps the recap here of today's episode uh uh, Honus Wagner was one of the cockiest hoodlums to ever grace the diamond. That's a fact. Uh, Ted Williams is the greatest to ever hit a round object with another round object. Uh, that's the end of that. No more discussion there. Um, the Cubbies were a little late to the to the lights party with, with the night games. Uh, but something that I was thinking about on in that regard, uh, maybe they're a little too early, you know? I mean, if you think about it, 2003, uh, if they would have been playing a day game in 2003 during the playoffs when Steve Barton made the catch, uh, has anybody thought about the fact that maybe he would have missed the ball because the sun was in his eyes and then the Cubs going to win the World Series in dramatic fashion? Has there anybody ever thought of that? Probably not, but uh, that's what goes on in, in, in this head of mine. Um, uh, Gary Sanchez should be, let's be honest, demoted to Little League where he can learn a little bit um, about the importance of hustling. Uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon is a G, uh, and based on his repertoire and his, and his skill set that we got a glimpse of, uh, this week, uh, we can pretty much assume that he's going to have a bright future in a, uh, or for a team that has a history of, of, uh, strong pitching. I'm certain that they'll, they're going to take care of him. Um, they're gonna, they're gonna build him up, uh, to be a, to be a steady, a steady constant in that rotation at uh, one point in his career or another. Uh, hopefully sooner rather than later because uh, that was fun to watch. Um, the Pirates uh, are going to mess around and find themselves in the postseason if they keep raising the Jolly Roger and uh, playing the way they have been. Um, like I said, that, that, that'll that be fun to see. That's an awesome postseason atmosphere. Uh, Love to see the blackout, the black and yellow. That's just that's just fun to watch. And like I said, I'm really hoping that they can find a way to to sneak in there somehow. I mean, I don't I don't see them going far, but I hope they can at least make the division round so we can watch them for more than just a wild card game. And lastly, recapping the unpopular opinion, uh, Chase Le- uh, Chase Utley's legacy, while cherished by Phillies fans, uh, in my opinion, is just pretty much fickle to everyone else. I mean, he's just one of those guys that's been a been a polarizing figure in the game and there's going to be a lot of debate here in the coming months and the coming years about whether or not he's worthy enough for the Hall of Fame. So uh that about does it. I'll catch up with you guys next Wednesday. I'm hoping to do this once every once every week. Uh Wednesday seems to be the the best day for it. Um in the meantime, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. 
uh, and followed Dirt Simon's Baseball on pot, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching DTD Baseball, and then add us on Snapchat by adding Dirt the number two Diamonds BB. So that's Dirt the number two Diamonds BB. Uh, well, I appreciate you guys listening. Be sure to leave a review and let me know what you guys liked, didn't like, and what you want to hear more of. Until next time, stay filthy.